Welcome to Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on whatever topic the guys choose. Their goal is to entertain and inform you on a variety of themes. This podcast is an expression of their lifelong love and commitment to music. Simply stated, music is life. This show may include adult themes and language. Once again, welcome to Musically Challenged. Here are your hosts, Chad and Lou. Welcome to episode 29 of Musically Challenged, your weekly helping of random music conversations based on pretty much whatever topic we want. I'm your host, Lou Schwalbach, and alongside me is Chad Knight. Howdy. This week, we're going to be continuing our TV theme series, focusing on orchestrated or composed TV themes. Now, by composed, we mean that we'll only be considering those themes that have no actual lyrics in them, but stand out to us one way or another for whatever reason. Now, if there's a little talking, that's okay. However, if the song has lyrics, it won't be showing up on this list, but may possibly show up in the next episode about TV themes when we talk about show themes that are actually songs. Finally, we're not going to be doing any game shows because that might be a later date. Get ready to zone out while we get this one started. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. How are you? Not too shabby. Excellent, excellent. So I suppose you want me to kick this off, huh? Yeah, why not? All right, well, I'm going to kick it off actually with one of my favorite shows of all time. Okay. And that's MASH. Okay, all right. So MASH had a theme song, which was actually titled, it was called Suicide is Painless. And came from the movie, if I recall. It did. Okay. And it actually does have words. But however, the the difference is they didn't use the words in the TV series. I think it's a good thing that they didn't. Because that would really not make me want to watch the show. <laughs> That's true. It was it was not a happy song. But the music itself is just kind of melodic. It kind of makes you... I don't want to say it makes you like dread something's coming, but it kind of gives you a feeling of something's coming. It's almost like 70s emo. Yeah, a little bit. Because <laughs> it's just like... I'm I'm pouting, I'm in a dark place, you know, and this is just like your sad music you listen to. Well, you know, it was a show about war. It was about the Korean War. Mm-hmm. Which the show lasted longer than the war. Which... The war lasted three years. The show lasted 11 seasons. <laughs> I mean, you if you really watch it, one of the characters that was there for the whole time, Hawkeye, mm-hmm. who was played by Alan Alda, right. you watched him age. Oh, yeah. By the end of the show, he could not have passed for a you know, a captain in Korea. He was he was old. Yeah, and I think that's part of why he started going behind the camera a bit too. Yeah, but you know, so anyway, I I really like the song, the show, the song. I enjoy the song. You're right, though it's a dark song. But let's take a listen. song i picture the helicopters coming in for the landing you know at the beginning of the show and and all the chaos that went with the show and that was the thing about the show is they tried to show you war was really war i mean they did candy coat it to a certain degree because they wanted to have an audience too right but you know you saw blood you saw marriages dissolve you saw people dying people dying on a regular basis what did you think of the show you know when i it was more of a drama, and as a kid, because that's kind of more when our younger years, 
I didn't really so much care for it because it was one of those where it was a thinker. It was thinking, it was drama, it had some comedy, you know, like Radar was funny, Colonel, uh, Colonel Potter was awesome. Right. Klinger, I think, Jamie Farr. Jamie Farr, He, he yeah. was in there. And, of course, they had their comedic moments, their back and forth, The because Alan Alder really thought he was Groucho Marx a lot, which was fine because Groucho Marx is amazing. Right. The still in the tent and everything else, they got away with murder. But then you have the serious stuff, and it's like, uh, I'm a kid, I don't want to watch serious stuff. I can see that, too. I remember the theme, and I have to ask. There were two different supporting characters. There was Trapper John and who was the other one? McIntyre. McIntyre. Which did you care for? I preferred McIntyre. See, and I like Probably because he was there longer. That could be. I like Trapper for whatever reason. Trapper John was good. I preferred the Trapper John from the movie, though. Uh, Which was whom? Uh, I can't remember who played him. But it was not the same as the guy in the series. No, I don't think... Did anybody really... I think uh, Radar. Wasn't he the only one that came from the Radar movie? Radar is the only one that came from the movie, yeah. Because I know it was Elliot Gould. He was Hawkeye. Yeah. I don't remember who played Hot Lips. I don't remember who played Blake. I mean, I don't remember any of the other characters except for... So now, did you know that before Colonel Potter was Colonel Potter, he actually played in a two-episode arc where he was this crazy general from the front? It was... It's it's really kind of a weird thing, but yeah, he played this general from the front who they actually worked to get him kicked out of the army because he was putting his men into too much danger. Okay. And then, like, three seasons later, he comes back as Colonel Potter. Nice. Now, actually, we're going to go ahead and retcon here because I was wrong. Okay. And I'll be the first to admit it. Elliot Gould was in it, but he was Trapper John. Oh, okay. Who played? Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Yeah. It was, I mean, and the oh, movie... Robert I'm, Duvall was in that. Robert Duvall was Burns. Yeah. Awesome. And then Renny Arbajois, whoever, who was Odo in Deep Space Nine, mm-hmm. and also in Benson, which was an awesome damn show. Benson, oh my god. Anyways, we're getting off topic here, but... Uh, but anyway, you know, it was it was just a show. It was a show that was, yes, a drama, but it wasn't like what we would call a drama today. No, it was not as heavy. Right. As today, but it was still pretty heavy for the 70s it, and 80s. And there were some of the episodes, like where they did the, the newsreel episodes, mm-hmm. those were very heavy. Or like the, later on the season, the chicken on a bus episode. Not going to say that, anything that's else. That's the final episode, yeah. That's, um, that's no, uh, so no long spoilers, farewell. Yeah. Man. <laughs> spoilers at this point? You know what? Some people haven't seen that, though. But yeah, you're right. The, the chicken on the bus, you know, the fact that Hawkeye spends a lot of that episode, or that final episode, which is really a movie. It's a two-hour episode. Oh, uh, yeah. It's one you of the know, most it, watched endings, I think. Ever. It is the most watched uh, television ending? television episode, uh, episodic episode ever. It's not like a sporting event or anything like sure, that. Sure, sure. It is the most watched like TV show ever. And he spends a lot of time in a mental facility because the war has gotten to him and mm-hmm. you know all this stuff. But then at the end, it's peace and everybody gets to go home. Right. So it, it, it's fun. But what do you got for us? Last thing I was going to mention oh, yeah. in that one there was, I just remember the episode where, and you know, I don't care, spoiler if you haven't seen it or if you don't know, but whatever, when they killed off Blake, when he, because apparently he was in some kind of contract dispute or something, Correct. and because of which he is basically giving the producers the fingers, so they're like, yeah, fine, fuck you. So they're like, his chopper went down, there were no survivors, because I think at that time he wanted to come back, but then they're like, nope, you're dead. Well, and the best part about that was that episode, that scene right there, nobody knew what was going to happen in that scene. They knew this part of the scene, that there was a part of the scene coming up. Mm-hmm. And they handed Radar what he read, was not scripted, 
He walked, they, as he walked into the door, if you watch really closely, you can actually see the shadow of the guy hand him the sheet of paper. The updated sheet. He takes it, he walks in, and that was all just true response. Legit response. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty awesome, actually. All right. Well, I'm going to start off with one of my favorite shows of all time, and that was MacGyver. I never got into it. Oh, my God. I loved MacGyver. I wanted my hair to be like him. I wanted to know everything. I wanted 10 Swiss Army knives to disarm bombs and shit like that. Yes. I wanted to be MacGyver. I wanted to know how to blow shit up with a paper clip and a wad of gum. You know, and uh, MacGyver, for those who don't know and don't live under the rock, don't think about the 2006 reboot that they came out with. No, that was horrible. However, I had a piece of trivia about that one. Anyways. Anyways, Action Adventure, ABC TV series that ran from 85 to 92 for seven seasons, 139 episodes, and they made two TV movies out of it. It starred Richard Dean Anderson as the title character who is a secret agent for the Phoenix Foundation. He traveled the world solving problems and helping people out as directed by the Foundation. Its primary claim to fame was the fact that MacGyver was able to get out of nearly any situation with duct tape and a Swiss Army knife. Let's take a quick listen, then I've got a little bit more about that. episode, for example, he stops a chemical leak with fucking Hershey bars. I'm, I'm, if I'm lying, I'm dying because I just recently... I just call bullshit on the whole thing. You know, and I watched this and I had to rewind this. He's like, no, and he gets this scientific explanation. I'm like, are you serious? Hershey bars. Really? I, I get everything you can get, get from the vending machine. I'm like, what the hell did I just watch? Now, as ridiculous as it sounds, it was compelling TV. I loved the show. I liked having a likable, brilliant character that kept me reeled in from the first time I watched it. I wanted to have the Mac mullet in the early years. And the little piece of trivia that I had for you was Randy Edelman, who composed the theme for the original series in the 80s, also composed the theme for the reboot. Okay. It's, again, I except for the packaging on the DVDs, which is like cardboard terrible, I would own that one otherwise. I love that show. Nikki, my wife, absolutely loves MacGyver, and... It was on Netflix or Hulu for a while. They just recently took it off of Netflix. Yeah, and she would watch it, and I just, I couldn't do it. I just, there's something about it. I can buy into a lot of falsities, mm -hmm. but that one was just so over the top. It was just so over the top. It was almost like Ash from Army of Darkness being able to make gunpowder just right. from a science book in his in his trunk. Right. I do have to say, though, Maga uh, Richard Dean Anderson, once again, also played it in an amazing role for, I believe it was Stargate. Okay. As, like, the Kurt Russell character in the TV show, and that was actually really good, too. Okay, perfect. So what do you got next? Up next, we're going to go with one of my childhood favorites, Andy Griffith Show. Okay. I know it's hokey, it's cheesy, it's it's Mayberry, it's... It's all... little Ronnie Howard. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's it's the dad, Andy Griffith. He was a small-town cop. His wife had died. He got left with little Opie, and B came to help out. <laughs> Opie. <laughs> I know. <laughs> North Carolina town, Opie. Yeah. You know, Aunt B came to live with them to help out because she was uh, I don't, I don't remember if she was a widow or if she was just never married. 
Oh, could have been either way. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, trusty Barney Fife, the town the <laughs> With deputy. one bullet. And then you had Floyd the Barber, and you had... Otis the Drunk? Otis the... Otis was the best episodes. When Otis would show up, it was the greatest, because the... And this had nothing to do with Andy, really, but the... the the battle between Otis and Barney. Barney. Oh yeah, the drunk tank and everything else. Yeah, you know, it was just it was just one of these things. I just love that show. I still do to this day. I've got. It's a simple time. Yeah, it. it you don't think too hard about it. I mean, the biggest problem is, you know, Opie doesn't want to give three cents to some charity, and and Andy's like grounding him and doing all this stuff. And why is he not doing it? Because he's trying to save money up to buy a coat for his little girlfriend because she doesn't have one. Right. You know, those kind of things, you know, Opie lied. I mean, that was a huge episode when Opie lied to Andy. You know, it's just, well, let's listen to the music. is simple it is i mean it's there's it does technically have words but not in the opening sequence right i challenge anybody to really know what the words of that song are i have no idea and i've watched hundreds of episodes i think it might be called something like to the old fishing hole or something like that quite possibly it could all be but and i'm sure you probably already knew this here as a big fan there was a very strong spin-off character that started in here Name of? Gomer Pyle. There you go. Which was another hilarious show. Gomer Pyle USMC, yeah. I, I enjoyed Gomer Pyle USMC, but it didn't have the same hit. I mean, there was another spinoff. There was Mayberry RFD. Yeah, it was kind of terrible. Which was kind of terrible. It was, you know, there was something lost in my mind. There was something lost when Andy Griffith went from black and white to color. I can buy that. It's almost like a little bit of the innocence lost. Yeah. You know, the color episodes, the actual Andy Griffith sh show that had colored episodes, those were okay, but RFD was done completely in color from beginning to end, and it just, there was something missing. Even though all the characters were there, mm -hmm. it just, there, were, there was something missing, but... Next is one that we have, and this, I enjoy the show because it's actually a very entertaining show. It was Night Court. Oh, no. Bull. Bull Shannon, absolutely. Bull Shannon was my favorite he was just a big dumb but he was great. brilliant though he was but he was this he was big dumb brilliant nicest guy in the world bald intimidating character. as hell yeah unless you knew him right now night court was given to us uh, composed by jack elliott who also gave us barney miller another great show and charlie's angels it was an nbc comedy set during the night shift imagine that of a manhattan municipal court it starred harry anderson as a Mel Torme-loving judge, Harry T. Stone, the young, out-there judge, did unorthodox things to solve problems. He was everybody's buddy. Yeah. Co-stars with Anderson were John Larroquette as Dan the Horndog Fielding. Yeah. Who's basically the Glenn Quagmire of that. Uh, Marky Post, who the royal wedding-obsessed and chipper <sighs> defender Christine Sullivan, who I had the biggest freaking crush oh, on she ever. Was so fucking hot. <laughs> yeah. Then we had the relatively normal person, which was Mac, played by Charles Robinson. And then the bailiffs who had some of the best lines and stole the show, like Roz with Marsha Warfield, when her when she took over for that older lady. Yes. Oh, that was it was just it was on right there because she was just such a perfect character for this motley crew. Well, let's take a quick listen here.
course, I'd be remiss to re-mention Richard Mull, who played Bull Shannon. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. This show was just so funny, and it always came on at night. So this was another one where it's like, I can hear the music because the TV was up too loud for my bedroom, but later on I got to watch it on WGN, because, of course, the Chicago Network always had it on. And the opening for the show starts off kind of gritty, like, you know, you can see, like, the subway, and you see a cop walking the beat, and then all of a sudden it just turns silly. The Dirty Sax Diddy introduces the cast. The show came on. Again, it was when it was first run. It was pretty well received. It didn't last that long. And I still love watching the reruns for the humor and because of Marky Post, who was fucking hot. And I'm sorry, but she was still pretty damn good when she was in um, There's Something About Mary. She was the mom in that movie. You're right. She was. And she still looked damn good. Genetics work. Absolutely. Sure. So I don't know what your thoughts are. I... I absolutely love that show. That is one show Nikki and I can both sit down and watch, and nobody's going, can we watch something else? You know, everybody, and everybody likes something different. She is a big fan of Judge Harry. Mm-hmm. You know, I was more of a fan of, like, Bull. Mm-hmm. And, well, the episodes, and, and Christine, of course. Well. <laughs> that goes without saying. That's not so much, that. that's more obsession than fandom. Fair enough. But, you know, it, it is what it is. But, you know, the episodes where Mel Torme came on and he would sing. Oh, yes. Oh, that and was I mean, like, and that was like, that was Harry Stone basically getting a, a Woody. He's like, oh my God, you're my idol. Yeah. You know, and it was always something goofy. Like there was one episode, I think, where like some kid made a box that like locked everything down and he had to try to talk him out of jumping or, or like having the box run everybody's life or the computer changing right. things. And his chambers looked like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Yeah. And, and the nice thing about that is he was a character where, so, you know, a prostitute might be brought in on charges. And he would find some way of getting around finding her the $50 or whatever it was for being a hooker by, you know, she had to go work at a homeless shelter. Or, you know, he found ways around it that still helped the community without necessarily making it all about money. Right. And it was something, too, where instead of being like, okay, you're breaking the law, this is whatever the case is. It's like, you know what? You know know you're breaking the law. Just do something good and we're going to call it square. Right. Which... It was a good message. I mean, it's a far cry message from like the law and order type stuff we have today. But again, that's drama versus comedy. Right. So what do you got? Next up, we're going to we're going to go across the uh, we're going to go across the pond. Really? Yeah. We're going to talk a little Benny Hill. Nice. The theme song for Benny Hill was just circus music. Basically, yeah. You know, it was like Flight of the Valkyrie on crack. It was just this very upbeat, quick. (laughs) Done on like two instruments. Yeah. And, you know, Benny Hill was one of these shows. My parents used to watch Benny Hill. Mm -hmm. I was not allowed to watch Benny Hill. I don't think I was either, actually. But you could hear the music, Mm -hmm. and if you could do it just right, you could kind of watch through a crack in the door from the bedroom, (laughs) you know, kind of thing. And it was great. I mean, it was a variety show Mm -hmm. that was a little on the blue side. A little risque, yeah. Yeah, but, well, let's listen to the music, and then we'll talk a little more. I believe it was Benny Hill, and, and I would have to check my facts here, but I don't know 100%. But I believe Benny Hill was the first time I had ever heard of Monty Python. Quite possibly. I think they did a, an appearance on Benny Hill. 
And that is actually, if, if it wasn't Benny Hill, somebody let me know what late night show. Where did the Pythons get their start? Yeah. And I remember seeing it and going, what? You can <laughs> do stuff like that? Yep. You know, but British TV is so different than American TV. Oh, absolutely. You know, when I watch it like on Netflix and stuff, it's like, how did they say that on TV? Oh, yeah, it's British. Right. <laughs> you know, because you can drop, you can say shit. You can call somebody a bitch. You, you know, you don't have to be talking about a dog even. No. You know, you, I've, I've, I've heard the F-bomb dropped in British TV. And the innuendos, they can just fling those around oh my God. they want well, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's absolutely one <laughs> a great show. What? Yeah, what, what are your thoughts? I never really watched the show itself. I mean, I've seen reruns. Right. It's definitely, as you mentioned, blue, and that's kind of the an inner term for things made the blue sheets, things that they weren't supposed to put on. Right. It's just entertaining, and the piece of music just sets the tone perfectly. Yeah. And there's no really other way to put it. Yeah, I, I agree. So what do you got? Next, we're going to have The Flash. The Flash was a CBS series that was done in the 90s. It was composed by Danny Elfman. Okay. I've heard of his stuff. Yeah, he's yeah, he's okay. He's relatively big. Uh, he has his moments. Yeah. You know, a little bit of that Oingo Boingo crap, but whatever. That, <laughs> mis, that misstep that was Oingo Boingo, except for Weird Science. Oh, weird science. It was an action-adventure show based on and revolving around the DC comic character of the same name. It was only on for one season and had 33 episodes. That's a long-ass season. Holy shit, no kidding. John Wesley Shipp played the Central City Police Department scientist Barry Allen, whose lab got struck by lightning, and between that and the chemicals, he was imbued with the power of super speed. Yay! If only it worked that way. I'll take a strike of lightning if I can get superpowers instead of dying. Yeah. Well, let's take a quick listen. Now, Amanda Pays plays Tina McGee, also a scientist, but with Star Labs, who helps Alan learn about using and controlling his powers. Primetime superheroes in the 90s, man. What's not to love? I don't think there really was. No, any, any I don't other. remember watching this one, but yeah, there was all kinds of stuff. There was The Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. you, had, you had a bunch of superheroes. I don't remember watching Flash, though. I, I tuned in on that one. That was a, that was a primetime 7 o'clock. Uh, I don't even remember what day of the week, but I mean, it was on there. I watched it all the time. I'm more of a Marvel guy than a DC guy, but the Flash, being a super friend, being a part of the Justice League, I knew his powers, and it was entertaining. My question is, how does he wear pants? How do they not just burn off when he runs? They explain that. So explain it to me. Okay. The, basically, the gist, that's the reason he wears the red suit, is because it is some kinetic dampening thing that doesn't give him a major chub rub. However, before he learned to control his powers, they show him ch chasing after like a taxi or something. And then, you know, cue the fast forward, whatever else. And they show him on a different coast. <laughs> and his pants and shoes are all shredded to hell and everything else. So they address that to a degree. Obviously, okay. not as bad as you'd think. But, yeah, it's the super suit, basically, that... Gotcha. Dampens it and makes it so he does... At least that's what the I like show the fact, I like the fact that he stays away from chub rub. I, I, public service, man. Anti-monkey butt or gold bond. In these hot summer and muggy summer days... There's nothing better. Fair enough. And on that kind of disturbing note, what do you got? Up next, I'm going to talk about 
a show that's, eh, you know, kind of my namesake. You always talk about, you know, the Lou's and the Lewis's. Knight Rider. Okay, there you Knight go. Knight Rider was, uh, you know, you had uh, Michael Knight. He worked for some secret oh, organization, too. I, I don't too. remember the name of it, but... I want to say it was it was Knight something. But anyway, he uh, had this awesome car. All right, so he had this car. It was a black Trans Am, I, I think it was a Trans Am, yeah. That they had kind of mod- modded out. It it had a little red beam that went back and forth across the front of it. With that whooshing sound? Yeah, that, with the whooshing sound. And then it talked. It was an intelligent car. Oh, yeah. You know, and it could do these things, and it could tell Michael where to go and how how to do certain things that he didn't have the knowledge of. And it was just, to me, it was just really cool, the fact that a car could talk to you. Oh, now yeah. everybody's fucking car talks to him. Oh, yeah. But but it's like C-3PO was the car. Right, right. And it had, like, jo- like, instead of a steering wheel, it had, like, joystick controls. Right. And the music for this was kind of a, I don't even know what, it was kind of like, you know, like a repetitive kind of, thing and and it was a lot of fun i mean the show was a lot of fun it kind of was like a it was cheesy but it was fun cheese well yeah it was it was definitely cheesy but it kind of had that same feel as like a show like magnum pi to a degree yeah i would, you know, I would agree with that but if let's magnum go ahead pi had a cool ass car instead of that helicopter oh no he had he that had ferrari. ferrari i was gonna say what what do you mean he had a cool but his car. ferrari didn't talk to him that's true but it got him tail fair enough but anyway let's let's take a listen to the theme song This was one of those Friday night TV shows. Mm-hmm. I think it was like seven or seven or eight it came on. You know, it was one where the whole family sat down and we watched, you know, and it was just, it was a lot of fun. And it was really cool as a kid because the, my last name was on the TV show, you know. So it was just cool. I enjoyed it. What what, what are your thoughts? You know, and I was, a, when I watched it as a kid, I thought it was cheesy, but it was still the coolest thing in the friggin' world because you had Hasselhoff with a talking car. The, even the opening sequence, I mean, you're, it's in the dusk or dawn, whatever. Right, through the desert. Driving towards you in the desert with the sun barely either coming up or going down. And then you had the Night Rider. Yeah, and then, and then whoosh, whoosh, Yes. Whoosh, I mean, honestly, whoosh, that'd be one of those whoosh. where if you knew this car, because the car was intelligent enough to drive itself. Right. Um, if you watched the reboot, which actually wasn't terrible, the car could do different things. So if you're a bad guy and you're hearing just that whooshing back and forth, you're like, fuck it, I quit. Yeah. I'm giving up because obviously either Michael Knight's nearby or this car is going to fuck shit up. Right. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, all right, let's go on to the next one. What do you got? Next, we've got another awesome vehicle, and that was Airwolf. Okay. Now, that was one I didn't watch, but I I, I know the basics. It's it's a helicopter, right? It is a helicopter. Um, It was basically a, a usa network show if i recall but let's take a look at my notes say let's see action adventure show centered on a supersonic stealth attack helicopter codenamed airwolf that was piloted by Stringfellow hawk played by jan michael vincent and assisted by ernest borgnine's dominic santini the guy who's composed it didn't really do too much tv did more movies he did cobra scarface hot shots and flash dance which is a pretty si- decent set of movies yeah 
It ran for 80 episodes and aired on CBS for the first three seasons and its final season going to the USA Network, so that's probably where I saw it. Well, let's take a quick listen. Much like MacGyver, there's a shadowy benefactor that's handing out missions that Hawk and Santini undertake with the power of this beast. The chopper, being compared to an AH-64 Apache gunship, was rather silly, especially as it was painted to look like a killer whale. Really? Yeah, it was like gray with like a white underbelly. Oh, okay. It was kind of goofy, but for the 80s on network TV, it was badass. I love the show because the cool factor, it was a helicopter that shot missiles and helped the good guys beat the bad guys. You know how kids draw pictures of, like, houses and sun stuff? I drew pictures of Airwolf. Okay, fair enough. Sounds like you don't really have too much experience. I don't. I, I don't think I've ever even seen an episode, to be honest with you. Just, you know, when I was a kid, parents watched TV. You didn't get to choose what you watched. So, I don't think I ever watched that one. It does not ring a bell at all. All right, well, then we get to move on to your next one. My next one is is one of those 90s sitcoms. It's called Roseanne. Oh, I thought you were going to say 30-something. No. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you remember Roseanne, it was, uh, the music was, a it was an opening, the music was like a, like a brass section almost kind of playing. Mm-hmm. It was really kind of a slow, meandering song, but the thing that always got me about it was the laugh at the end, when she laughed at the end of the, mm-hmm. the music, at the end of the intro, and, you know, it was one of those shows, and I hate to say this, but in a way, it kind of reminded me of My House. Well, yeah, because, I mean, you've got the hard-working, the blue-collar mom and dad, you know, the yep. the boys and the girls or whatever have their own problems. And, and not to step on toes, but I believe Roseanne was actually pretty high at the forefront for dealing with a lot of social issues, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it was one of those shows where I just really enjoyed it. There was the, the girl, and I can't think of her name right now. Which girl? The the uh, the younger one. Oh, um, Melissa Gilbert. Melissa Gilbert. No. She played Darlene. Yeah, Darlene. Was it Melissa Gilbert? No, not Melissa Gilbert. No, 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 no. no. Oh, it was Gilbert. Sarah Gilbert. Sarah Gilbert. That's right. Melissa was Little House, Little House on the Prairie. Prairie. <laughs> I'm like, that's not right. Yeah, Sarah Gilbert. I always thought she was very, very cute. Okay. Now, later in the episodes, she had a boyfriend, who today is Leonard Hofstetter on Big Bang Theory. And she's and on she the show makes, as well. Yeah, she makes so occasional appearances on the show as well. <laughs> they actually hook up on Big Bang Theory, don't they? Yeah, they do it a couple Multiple of, times. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a funny little twist of fate, but I just enjoyed the show because it was... Normal. Yeah, it was it was what it was what you could relate to. Mm-hmm. Why don't we uh, take a listen to the to the theme song? Big Bang Theory actually snaked more than a couple different actors because if you if you recall, her sister Jackie is Sheldon's, Sheldon's mom. mother, yeah, and also the voice of the mom in Toy Story. 
Really? Yes. Oh, cool. They don't ever really show her face. You just hear her talking about Andy. But yes, they have three of the ma- major characters in Big Bang Theory were taken f- directly from Roseanne. Roseanne. And now there's rumors. That I think we were talking a little bit before we started, and I think you said it's been signed now. They are bringing back a limited run of Roseanne. That's what I had heard, and the questions are that you brought up of how they're going to deal with Dan. Right. My question is how the hell they're going to deal with two daughters. Because of the switching actresses. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we have two Beckys. Right. Those are the main two things I can think of. I mean, yeah. if they decide not to pretend like the last season with the lottery didn't happen, I think it'll work great. I think so, too, because that was that was a horrible season. It's And that's just kind of where it started to go downhill. I mean, they were always, I hate to use this term, but they were kind of white trash to a degree. Absolutely. You know, I mean... They still made their bills. They still had family problems. If something happened, it's like, oh, let's just go buy a new washer dryer and all the other appliances in the house. No, you have to work an extra five shifts. You have to take extra right. jobs. You pay. You rob Peter to pay Paul. That's how real life was for most people. Yeah. And that's why I think Rosanna appealed to a lot of people is because it wasn't sugarcoating bullshit that's like, you know, hey, let's go ahead and pull this $10,000 out of my pocket. Right. If right. I'm finding $10,000 in my pocket, I stole somebody's pants. Right. You know, they sold, they sold it as a real family where in a lot of TV shows, you never talked about money. No. No. Unless it was the, the main portion of an episode. Right. But otherwise, you know, things just happen. Oh, they went to the mall and they went clothes shopping. They all have these bags full of clothes. Yeah. You know, but they're poor. I'm like, I never... We never did that. Exactly. You know, but the episode of Roseanne where the older daughter, Becky, wants these special jeans, mm-hmm. you know, and they're like, well, we pay this much for jeans. If you want those jeans, you need to pay the rest. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's how it was for me. That, that's exactly that's what I was getting at is there was a time. Did you remember guest jeans? I remember guest jeans. I remember the bags. Remember it was Spree. That was the other one. Too. Okay. Well, guest jeans. I really wanted a pair of guest jeans. Well, my parents, we went to Prangyway, and we bought his jeans. Yep. You know? I had HIS, too. Did you? I had Bugle Boy stuff, too. Remember okay, those? yeah. But, you know, a pair a pair of his jeans were 20 bucks. Yeah, yeah. A pair right. of guest jeans were like 60 or 65 bucks. Which, to this day, still boggles my mind. Yeah. But So, my mom's like, you want them? That's fine. We'll give you 20 bucks towards them, and you have to pay the rest. So, I did. I, I spent my summer mowing lawns and doing whatever. I made the money. I went and I bought this pair of guest jeans that I wore once because they were the most uncomfortable fucking pair of jeans I had ever <laughs> bought. But so that's why I think Roseanne really kind of because those kids had the same problems I had. Yeah. I mean, you they know? had it wasn't again, it was something where it was every man problems. Right. It wasn't Hollywood problems. It wasn't. New Yorker problems. It wasn't first world problems. Well, I suppose some of them were first world problems, but... It was lower middle class first world problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, All right. And that was great. So what do you got, man? We're going to go with back to the superhero genre. Okay. Batman. Ooh. Now, as I mentioned before, if it has a little bit of words to it, it's okay. I don't know if think this counts as lyrics because all they do is say fucking Batman over and over again. So now you're talking the 1960s? 60s, hells okay. yeah, dude. The Adam West, rest in peace. Yeah, he just we just lost him recently. Yeah, the 60s Batman. Who needs an introduction for the 60s Batman? This comic book adaptation series followed the Cape Crusader played by Adam West, Boy Wonder played by Burt Ward, as they thwarted the nefarious plans of the villains of the likes of the Joker, Cesar Romero, who didn't even shave his fucking mustache. I know, that is great. <laughs> to play the Joker, we have Penguin, Burgess Meredith, 
prior to telling Rocky he was going to eat lightning and crap thunder. And the Catwoman, played by a trio of actresses, Julie Newmar in season one and two, Eartha Kitt in season three, and Lee Merriweather uh, in the movie, who I personally cared for the most. See, I was an Eartha Kitt. Oh, she was okay, but Merriweather, oh yeah. It ran for three seasons only, from 66 to 68, on CBS for 120 episodes, and would go on further with NBC had someone not destroyed the sets. Really? Yeah. They were very expensive at the time, and everyone knows this song, which we're just going to take a listen to refresh your memories. that almost anybody has seen at least an episode of this camp fest. God, if you haven't, crawl out from underneath your rock. Go find it. And I don't know about you, but church on Sundays, it was on right after church every Sunday. And then after that, they had the Charlie Chan movies, those little mystery deals. Yeah. Every Sunday. When I got control of the TV, it was campy, it was goofy, it was Batman time. I Yeah, absolutely. Batman was... And still is. I own the 1967 movie. Hells yeah, so do I. Shark repellent. That's oh, all I the, have to the say. The bat shark repellent. That was just... I remember the first time I watched it as an adult, because as a kid you don't think about things right. like this. Get me the bat shark repellent. I'm like, are you fucking serious? Yeah. <laughs> Did really? you see that shark that was on his leg? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was worse than Jaws, man. So, but yeah, it was it was amazing. Even going back for the camp value, I will still go back and watch those just because they are hilariously badly awesome you know and caesar romero he's like mustache no clown white that bitch and they did and that shit dripped off every now and then too yeah. it was hilarious and it was just the worst like, like it was always one of these things as a kid i didn't think about the mustache but i was like what's wrong with his lip because <laughs> it was always it always looked off you know mm-hmm. and it was just, yet he is still one of the best jokers <sighs> one of the best well, I mean, what do we have to choose from? We, well, we've got Cesar Romero. Yes. We've got Jack Nicholson. Yes. We've got Heath Ledger. Yes. Um, we got that douchebag from Suicide Squad, Leto. Oh, Leto. And, and I'm going to say Mark Hamill. Yeah, I was going to say Mark Hamill. And whoever animated. took over. And whoever took over, because the guy who did, who took over for Mark Hamill, he does a really good job, I, too. I don't think I've heard him, but... He does so, a similar Joker, but not emulating him. Okay. The easiest the easiest one is the worst Joker, and that's Leto. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I could not stand his, his version of the Joker. I personally think that Heath Ledger did the most true-to-the-comic-book Joker. He did the true-to-a-certain-part-of-the-comic-book, because there's two different sides to the Joker. There's the clown prince of crime, and then there's the evil homicidal motherfucker that there is. Right. He played the great homicidal one. Clown Prince, Nicholson nailed it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I love Nicholson's Joker as well. I don't know if I could pick a favorite. No. But Romero's definitely up there. I loved his his slapstick, his campy and, Joker. And anybody who's ever watched the animated series for Batman, Hamill does amazing work. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, really, all we can say is they're all good except for Leto. Yeah. So that's... I would agree with that assessment, sir. So there's not really a best or... There's not really a best, but there's a worst. Yes, absolutely. And on that note, what's your next? Well, we're going to... We're going to go to a time in history when the Nazis were still around. So Hogan's Heroes. So a couple weeks ago? 
Well, okay. I hate Illinois Nazis. <laughs> Everybody hates Illinois Nazis. They cause traffic jams, man. Best movie. Great movie and not best movie. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Moving on. Sorry. Uh, so Hogan's Heroes. It was a show where the Germans were kind of shown as being really kind of stupid. Morons? Yeah. And it was based in a concentration camp called Stalag 13, which didn't actually hold Jews. It held American prisoners and just POWs. Yeah, because yeah, they were from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Held POWs, and the guy from Family Feud, Dawson, Richard Dawson, Richard yeah. Dawson played. He's a French Hogan. guy, wasn't he? No, he played Hogan. Oh, Bob Crane played Hogan. Oh wait, yeah, you're right. Dawson was the French guy, mm-hmm. but uh, Bob Crane played Hogan, and he was just this guy who would help. They they actually wanted to stay in this concentration camp because they helped people in and out mm-hmm. behind enemy lines and get people out, and they'd bring people in and. They they just made a mockery of the whole Nazi thing, which was the whole point of this show. Oh, yeah. It was kind of funny because you know they were Nazis, but they didn't wear any of the... Insignias. Insignias. They didn't wear like any the of black, the black, but not yeah. the logos. Right, right. They would wear the, the uniforms, but they didn't have the swastikas. They didn't have the iron crosses. They mm. didn't have the German eagles type sure. thing. It was, I just happened to catch an episode of this a few weeks ago, and they somehow convinced the, you know, uh, Colonel Klink and... Uh, the guy who was in charge of the Stalag, that Hitler was visiting, and they locked some guy that they were trying to get out of out of Germany into this room, and one of the guys did this totally horribly over the top German accent, but Hitler didn't want to be he didn't want to be disturbed, you know, disturbed or... at all. So they like drove in, they had they had somebody drive in, he gets out of the city, he walks into this room, shuts the door. And they're trying to talk to him, and he's just like doing this, this thing, you know, just, just a horrible <laughs> thing. And I'm just going, I'm just sitting there going, if this was real life, I don't care how stupid you are, you're going to be like, no, that's not Hitler, you know, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But and, then, and there was the the big dumb guy that looked like Captain Kangaroo Schultz. Yeah, I yeah. saw nothing. Let's take a listen to the music. Now, since this is a show about music, the actual, it was a very... Militaristic. Militaristic, but peppy. Yeah, it was like an upbeat march. Yeah, and and it was a lot of fun. I mean, as a kid, you would hear that come on, because my mother loved, absolutely loved Nick at Night. Oh, yeah. And it played all these kind of shows. You know, it was that. It was the Beverly Hillbillies. It was Sanford and Son. It was all these different Mm -hmm. shows. And I absolutely loved Hogan's Heroes. You'd hear that, and it'd be like, it didn't matter what you were doing. The ears so, would perk up. And, yeah, and you kind of go, oh, Hogan's Heroes is on, you know? Because it was always those drums at the beginning and those the, the boots running. Because there's there's definitely a sound that, like, when you ever hear boots pounding on pavement, it's like, oh, I know what that is. And that's those two things right there. It's like, okay, got to get ass and seat because it's time. Right, exactly. So what do you got up next? You know, you just mentioned, actually, what we got next. And oh, that, did I? That was Sanford and Son. Sanford and Son, um, which was composed by the inimitable Quincy Jones who is known for pretty much everything, including his work with Michael Jackson. Right. Frank Sinatra, The Color Purple, Out of Towners, and he actually was the conductor for We Are the World. Okay. Gave this song to us, I should say. Now, Sanford and Son was a Norman Lear NBC comedy that ran for six seasons for 138 episodes from 72 to 77. It starred Red Fox as junk dealer Fred Sanford and Desmond Wilson as his 
Big Dummy, Son, Lamont. In this show, like many of the quote-unquote and sons businesses out there, Lamont does pretty much all the work, letting Fred free to his own devices, which usually is a get-rich scheme that more often than not backfired. They bickered back and forth, routinely insulted each other, which apparently was the thing to do in the 70s. See All in the Family with Carol O'Connor and Rob Reiner. Yeah. Big meathead. <laughs> and, but there was always a family bond. And just like I think everybody out there, too. I mean, you've got a brother. You guys may go tooth and nail, but there's still a family bond. Right. Absolutely. Let's take a quick listen. I'm coming, Elizabeth. <laughs> now, I didn't watch the show's original run for obvious reasons because I wasn't around quite yet. Yeah, I was going to say, I had the same problem. Um, but I did watch reruns all the time on TBS. Yes. They are always on TBS, and Red Fox is such a perfect smartass, and his portrayal is still referenced in a lot of com comedy today. Hell, Family Guy. They had Family Guy did the Star Wars episode when they had, like, you know, Red October standing by, you know, in Simply Red standing by, Red Fox standing by, and when he's about to get shot down by a TIE fighter, he goes, I'm coming, Elizabeth, and then he gets blown up. Yeah. Have you, do you ever listen to the Bob and Tom show? Occasionally. Okay, so there was a time, do you remember the song, What Does the Fox Say? Oh, God. Yes. They did What Does Red Fox Say? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> It was hilarious. I'm sure you can find it on, like, YouTube or something, but... Probably. It's definitely worth a listen. It was like... I remember my first introduction to Red Fox. A buddy of mine goes, here, you have to listen to this. And he hands me a CD. Oh, he was profane. And it was called Red Fox in a plain brown wrapper. I heard about that. And, oh my god, I took that home and I put it in and I started listening to him. I'm like, my parents are home. Turn Gotta take down. that out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was one of those things. I was like, oh my god. But yeah, it was... Red Fox, the, the his Fred Sanford was completely different than his stand-up. Oh, yeah. It was definitely, quote-unquote, family-oriented, if you could really call it that. But it was toned-down language-wise. Yeah. And it still had some risque stuff to it. But oh, yeah. It was it was just an entertaining show. That's, I don't really have a whole lot more to say. I don't know. Did we listen to this? Let's take a listen again, just in case. All right. You know, if, if we actually didn't listen to it, or if we did actually listen to it already, I'm going to just play it twice. Okay, yeah, because it's entertaining. And it's Quincy Jones. So here you go. All right, yeah, there's, there's not a whole lot to say. It was a standard black comedy of the 70s, mm -hmm. and I enjoyed it. I, I still enjoy it to this day. If it's on, I'll sit and watch oh, it. Oh, absolutely. It's definitely one where if it comes on like the Emmy Nation, uh, or TV Land or whatever they yeah. call the station now, it's it's absolutely worth a watch. Oh, absolutely. So round, round us out. All right. So for my last one tonight, we're going to go out there because the truth is out there. We're talking X-Files. I'm rubbing my beard if you can't see this. Listen very carefully. You can hear it. What, it getting more gray by the second? <laughs> Anyways, moving on. So, The X-Files. It was Gillian uh, Anderson and David Duchovny. They played polar opposites when it came to what they were doing. 
They worked in the FBI's X-Files, which mm-hmm. are files that don't have a very immediate answer to them. They're cold cases, things like that. And so their job was to take these X-Files and go out and see what they could find out with them. Well, the company's character, Mulder, was a... What does the fox say? He was Fox Mulder. Yeah. There we go. Okay. So what did he say? He was very much into believing in aliens and extraterrestrial, or those would be the same things, but, you know, anything that was paranormal. Not immediately explainable by science. Right. He was very much into that. He thought aliens were real. He thought, in fact, he thought his sister had been abducted by aliens. Now, on the other hand, you had Scully, who was actually sent to the X-Files to get a file on Mulder to prove that he wasn't fit to be an FBI agent. But working through it, and as the series goes on through the, I think there was about six or seven seasons. Not counting the reboot season. Not counting the reboot season, yeah. The reboot season was amazing. I'm waiting. They're supposed to be doing another one. But anyway, throughout, they kind of switch roles. And by the end of the series, Scully is saying, you know, hey, this might be, aliens might be real. And Mulder has seen so much and learned so much that he's just like, no, it's the government. Ah, uh, so he tur- he goes into shutdown mode because of paranoia, basically. Right. And she turns into the believer. Right. And it's it's kind of a it's it's a slow migration. We should uh, probably take a listen to the music. itself is very out there. Have you heard the theme song? I have. I, I'll admit I never really watched the show. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a Fox show, I think. I think that's they played the whole Fox FX. I never watched it originally. I watched it all in reruns when it hit Netflix. Okay. Yeah, I just, I never got into it. Um, I always thought that Jillian Anderson was gorgeous. She is. The red hair thing again. Whatever. <laughs> but I never got into it, but I knew the theme because I had referenced it for a couple things in the past. I mean, I... I'm dating myself with MIDI files back when, before MP3s, we had MIDI files. I remember MIDI files. Yeah, so yeah. I remember the music. I just didn't get into the show. Everyone talked about it. Chris, Car- Chris Carter, I think, yep. was the guy who directed it. Just did such a great job. It's like, okay, cool. I'll check it out someday. Yeah, you know, I didn't watch it on its initial run because, like I've said in, in other places, I'm not a big horror person. I don't watch horror movies. I don't do that kind of stuff. Right. This, however, because of the alien twist on it, because I'm a lot like Mulder in that way, I think they're out there, and it just called to me. And there are some episodes that I have a really hard time watching because they are really fucking scary. Graphic, possibly? Some are very graphic, but it's just, it was, it's like you work through those because the whole story it told, and, mm-hmm. and that was the nice thing, is that over the entire seasons, it told a story. And at the midway point, I want to say after season three, between season three and four, they made a movie. Okay. And then after the last season, to wrap everything up, they made made another movie. So just to clarify then, if one of our listeners out here, this isn't something you can really pick up in the middle. You want to start from the beginning. Right. If you, I mean, each episode will stand on its own. 
there is a beginning and end to every episode, but, but it makes a bigger inside, picture. Okay, right. I suppose there's more inside knowledge, like the relationship status and things like that. Right, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. So why don't you uh, why don't you top us off tonight? We're gonna finish out with something that is composed by the great Henry Mancini, and that was Peter Gunn. I know you know this. Peter Gunn was a spy show. Okay. And the theme that was used, if you remember in Blues Brothers, remember yep. when Carrie Fisher's character comes up and she's about to blow him up or shoot that, <laughs> that spy type music there? Right. That is Peter Gunn. Okay. Now, Mancini also gave us Moon River, Pink Panther theme, Shot in the Dark. Mancini also did the Peanuts and stuff. Okay. So like your Charlie Brown stuff. It was a spy show aired for three seasons, 114 episodes. It started on NBC until partway through 1960. It went over to ABC for the remainder of its run. Um, the show was about a suave, well-dressed private eye who loves smooth jazz and solved cases. Okay. That sounds like a pretty BA career path for me. It's known for two things. First is the fact that most PIs are usually gruff, coarse people, kind of like Eddie Valiant from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right. And this guy was sophistically cool. Is that a word? Sophistically? Sophisticated and cool? Sure. And secondly, it was known for the theme song that's come to be associated with pretty much spies and doing anything sneaky. Spy Hunter video game, it's used. As I mentioned, Blues Brothers, when Carrie Fisher's about to do something snarky, it's used. Little tidbit here, the show was created by Blake Edwards, who also gave us Breakfast at Tiffany's and the Pink Panther movies, which were also scored by Henry Mancini. Okay. Let's take a quick listen. Now, again, I know you've heard this before. I mean, not only Blues Brothers, but anything spy-related right. that isn't James Bond, you've heard this before. Right. And the music, I'm, I'm familiar with the music. I'm not familiar with the show. Me either. In fact, I know it as the Peter Gunn theme because anything like, example, Spy Hunter, the video game, it, it just repeated the loop over and over again, and I knew what the music was. Right. I just didn't know that there was actually a show called Peter Gunn. Okay. So. Yeah, so I, I think on that, we'll call this one a wrap. I would agree. All right. So if you guys want to drop us a line, let us know what you think of this this episode or any of the other episodes up to this point. There's a few ways you can do that. First, you can send us an email at musicchallengepodcast at gmail.com. Or if you're more into the social media thing, you can uh, drop us a line at POI Network or at Musically Challenge Podcast on Facebook. Either way you want to reach out to us, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, any last final words of wisdom tonight? Um, of wisdom? I think you're asking a lot, but um, final words. I uh, just want to take the time to uh, thank everybody for listening and sticking with us for this long. And watch more TV. Yeah, and I'm thinking that there's enough TV out there that we could probably do a number two soon. Yeah, I would think so. So, All right, with that, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.